Hello and welcome to another SPAC Insider podcast, where we bring an independent eye in interviewing the targets of SPAC transactions and their SPAC partners. I'm Nick Clayton, and this week my colleague Melina Haddad and I get both sides of that discussion in the form of Kirk Taylor. He helped steer American acquisition opportunity and now serves as CFO of Royalty Management Holdings, with which the SPAC merged in early November. Royalty Management has crafted a portfolio of royalty streams from mining operations, as well as some industries like water treatment, where such financings are novel. Kirk discusses how the engagement with investors has gone as the teams advance their transaction through the DSPAC process, and what new opportunities royalty management is seeking now that the deal is closed. Take a listen. So royalty management began trading on the NASDAQ on November 3rd, which got you to the end of a 16-month process in getting royalty management listed. And so you came over as CFO of the SPAC, now being the CFO of the combined company. Looking back, Kirk, just what jumps out at you as the most surprising part of the process now that you're at the end, other end of it? I think that the quality of opportunities that we saw was anticipated, but also surprising. We had, when we IPO'd our SPAC, we set out to try to find uh, opportunities in the natural resource space, in the sustainability space, things that we know from our operating experience. And that led us to look at pretty exciting opportunities. We went pretty far down the line on several before we signed our definitive documents with royalty management and then obviously went on to the combination. But just to uncover how many good opportunities there are out there in the private space was eye-opening and also helps us build royalty management's funnel for potential opportunities, both in the resource space, mineral royalties, revenues. IP is a huge opportunity that we uncovered during our process. So trying to not just forget the, the heartache on some failed deals, but actually try to build upon the experience over that time period and turn that into a positive for royalty to maybe make investments in some of those private companies, maybe to bring some of that IP to commercialization through its royalty investment streams. It was challenging, but try and turn that challenge into a positive outcome. Yeah, and how much have things changed with the projects under royalty management's portfolio since the combination was announced back in uh, June, 2022? Yeah, so a couple of projects have gone from development stage to commercialization, which is always a, a great thing to see. One of the preeminent investments that royalty had previously made was in a development stage mining operation in South Africa called Ferox. It's primarily mining vanadium and titanium. Those metals are both used in traditional infrastructure space, but also in the electrification industry. And through the investment that Royalty has made, it has gone from a development stage project to now a commercial stage project, generating meaningful revenues to date, which has been really great to see the progression on their front. Most of the operations or future uh, investments have been paused over the past three to six months to get through the combination process. We wanted to keep most of the business static during the approval process, but the funnel kept growing. Another exciting business that Royalty has previously invested in is a company out of Austin, Texas called Heartwater. They're actually a rainwater capture technology. They capture rainwater off of roofs, they can purify it, and they can actually bottle it for consumer use. So to see Invested dollars go in, actual revenue starts to come out from those invested dollars. Again, is a really nice thing to see from an investor standpoint. 
And from a sector standpoint, royalty management has a very diverse portfolio. So with that in mind, are there any other areas of the portfolio that you think the company might seek to emphasize more investment in moving forward or any that you might step away from? Yeah, it's a good question. So one of the things that we're thinking about is what is infrastructure? Infrastructure today means raw material, iron ore, coal, aggregates, things that go in traditional infrastructure, right? Roads and bridges and steel. But what is infrastructure going to be tomorrow, right? So that's where the digital IP comes in, expanding our mindset on, on how to monetize future infrastructure projects. Water is the element of infrastructure for life, right? So how do we take advantage of intriguing IP around water capture and purification? How do we expand our access to electrification elements. One of our partners has spent several months in Africa trying to expand some of the relationships in the critical element space. So lithium is abundant in many African nations. How do we tap into that critical material needed for the electrification of both the power grid as well as all of our vehicles? So really pushing into those avenues where we've already previously made investments, but opening up our mind to say, not only, we don't only need to be stuck in one royalty stream, but we can leverage our experience in one to branch into another. And how exactly are you sourcing new projects? And just how much education do you have to do with partners? Considering in many cases, these are sectors that have not seen much royalty financing before. Yeah, so we've been blessed by really good industry contacts and having early stage successes, right? So our early stage success in South Africa at Ferox has led to new opportunities because though that team there has a tremendous track record. And when they go to talk to industry events or other networking opportunities, they're often asked, who helped you? grow from development to commercialization, and they can refer to them to us. Conversely, when we demonstrate our ability to help a company like Heartwater grow with a royalty stream that can help other early stage companies say, okay, I don't need to be adverse to a royalty stream. I can embrace them. It's a way for pre-development or pre-revenue companies to raise capital in a non-dilutive way, which many founders are very open to once those mechanics are explained to them. So yeah, it's a great question. And what can you tell us about the timelines for paying back each of these portfolio investments? And are you looking for them to generate revenue over diverse sets of time? Or is there a particular rhythm you're hoping to achieve in terms of when it's coming in? Yeah, it's a great question. And our portfolio is uniquely built to currently deliver revenue today, both in cash flow and accrued revenue, but also allow for us to make longer term investments. So by the fact that we have significant amount of interest income from our investments coming in today, we have Ferox producing today, we have Heartwater near commercialization today, we can also then go ahead and make longer term investments in IP that may be a three to five year time horizon. The one thing that we want to have is a balanced approach where we can generate cash flow today, which allows us to grow and not go to the equity markets and raise capital in dilutive form, build a nice portfolio, and then hopefully start offering dividends within 2024 to reward our shareholders who have been with us from the start. 
Great. And, you know, as you mentioned that pushing new projects forward a little bit, some of those have been on pause as you've been going through the DSPAC process. But, you know, looking at what you have filed so far, it looks like the companies did still post a loss in the first half of this year. So do you have a target in mind as to how many projects royalty management needs at a particular point in the future? Or, or, or is it more of a timeline sort of based thing that you're looking for in terms of when everything will, will even out on that level? Yeah, so we have a fairly tight cost structure. However, there is just a hurdle rate to get above public holding costs and other GNA. And so we really are looking for at the back half of 2024 for a couple of the investments that have already been made to mature and start producing revenue, as well as the investments made previously to grow in revenue to kind of overcome that hurdle rate to start demonstrating positive cash flow for operations. And hopefully that would allow us to start issuing a modest dividend, like I mentioned. And then where do we go from there, right? Uh, we want to expand some of the relationships we have. There's organic growth embedded in some of our current royalty streams, but then it's branching out, right? So with the foothold in South Africa, there's, as I mentioned, a number of opportunities near term in the lithium mining space. We find that junior miners are a really good opportunity for us in today's capital markets environment. It's really difficult for junior miners to go out and raise equity capital to advance their projects. Most of those equity offerings are just not getting done and not getting done in a way that founders want them to. And so we are able to offer them non-dilutive financing to advance those projects, go from development stage, go to pre, go to a feasibility, and then eventually get them into a commercialized state. So really expanding upon the existing footprint we already have and then expanding based upon those relationships and based upon the success of those relationships previously made. Yeah, and that's exactly what I wanted to get into next. Most of royalty management's assets are located within the United States, with the exception of the one company in South Africa that you previously mentioned. So are you considering other international investments at this time? And are there any advantages or perhaps disadvantages with these investments internationally? The investments that we make internationally are going to be ones where we trust and know the operators and we can insulate ourselves from any sort of international risk. So during our SPAC process, we did look at a handful of single asset royalty opportunities in South America, as well as in Northern Africa. And we want to make sure that we understand both the local geopolitical risks, as well as the operator risks. And again, that's why our having success already embedded in those regions allows us a really good foothold to expand. We can ask face-to-face, is operator A a good operator? Is that jurisdiction friendly to corporations or, or not? And so we can really leverage that success. But having a balanced portfolio of both North American opportunities as well as international will be in our mix, but we have to go with opportunities that with folks that we trust and that we can go visit and we can see and we can really have a um, long-term mutual success arrangement derived from that relationship. And has the Inflation Reduction Act done anything to help your existing projects or has it opened up any opportunities for new structures? Yeah, so Ferox is a great example where when we first made the investment, vanadium was a low value for us. It was not a high priority. However, the inclusion of vanadium as a critical element in the IRA really has increased the demand for that product, but then also the opportunity to bring 
lithium mines online through a royalty stream that then could flow back into the U.S. and be IRA compliant, again, yeah, totally has opened up a new avenue. But that goes back to our former point. Think about conceptually, what is infrastructure? It's not only iron ore or copper anymore. It's, you know, lithium and titanium and vanadium and all these other elements that go into electrification industry. So 100%, and we're supportive of, of all those Made in America bills because it does bring investment back here and helps those communities that maybe have lost industrial output over the past few decades. And when we last spoke, you laid out how royalty management has structured these investments with upfront or incremental cash. But of course, the company can now leverage share capital for investments. And so how different do you expect the company's approach to be moving forward now as a public company on that? That's a great question. It gives flexibility, right? So as a private company, you're really limited in the way in which you can raise capital to put capital work. As a public company, we have a lot more options. Now, we structure the DSPAC in a way where we did not have SPAC overhang with the combined company. So what that means is that we did not have to pay for any extensions. We didn't pay for any non-redemptions. We wanted to give the combined company a really even playing field to then go and, and grow itself. That means that all options are open now, right? The company is cash flowing and covering its GNA. It doesn't need to go and raise money today just to cover past payables. It can look at a creative opportunities, weigh the cost of capital, and then make those decisions strategically and not out of necessity, which I hope will drive longer term shareholder value. Yeah, and that gets to what I wanted to touch on next. You mentioned at an announcement last time we spoke that you, know, you really set out specifically not to add a pipe to the deal. And you already had some visibility into what the redemptions were going to be at that point. But you know, how do you feel about how the deal was structured, having closed without the non-redemptions, without a pipe, without some of these other things added on in the DSPAC process versus what's now available to you uh, now? Yeah, and so we, we were receiving several offers over the past month to put some structure in place. And it's tempting to take five, 10, $15 million, but you have to understand what the strings are with that, right? And so we had to look at the portfolio, what things were cash flowing, what that model out to be, what our pipeline looked like. And almost all of the offers we were receiving were highly structured, which is normal in the business. And and those structures really just did not allow for proper capital construction in a post-combined company status. So most of them carried significant resets, right, which would put the hedge funds in control. It would step on the backs of common shareholders. We just didn't want that to be part of our cap table. But so where do we go from here, right? And I think that awareness is very important. Appreciate you guys taking the time to talk about us. We're looking for fundamental investors. People do appreciate royalty streams in, the, in their investment portfolio. In times of inflation, commodity prices generally go up. Things cost more, right? Royalty streams that we structure are generally off the top line. So if price of vanadium goes up, we just collect more. We're not squeezed by rate rising input costs for, for those underlying businesses. And then as we grow, as we expand into different royalty segments, we hope to insulate ourselves from any sort of pockets of disruption you know, in any one of those sectors. Having public currency in a share deal 
is also something that could be on the table for larger transactions, right? Like I mentioned, we looked at several single asset opportunities during our spec due diligence process. And those are deals that are 50 million, $100 million type deals and having actual shares to combine with some of those companies are also tools that we can use when the time's right. Right. And so after successfully completing the deal, what advice would you have for other companies that are looking to go public through a SPAC? I would say do it for the right reason, right? Don't look at it as your one time of glory. The hard work begins the day after you combine, but do it for fundamental reasons. If you want to be a public company, to raise money the right way, SPACs are generally an efficient process to go through. I would say look for SPACs that are operator-led, who have taken small companies public and have grown them. And yeah, I would say just make sure you grow organically, grow your team well, work with people you trust, and look for the right outcomes and not just the glory of the DSPAC. Yeah, definitely. And then <laughs> going off of that, since completing the listing, what has been the biggest focus on your plate now as CFO? Uh, the deluge of financial reporting that's due immediately after the DSPAC, uh, as well <laughs> as market awareness, starting to get eyeballs to look at us as a fundamental royalty play and not just a SPAC or a DSPAC. I think there's a negative connotation in the market for DSPACs right now. So we want to tell the story, right? Royalty Management Holding Corporation on NASDAQ as RMCO has made significant amount of investment already in revenue generating royalty streams that has already been made. Those are already been done. Just the fact that the SPAC had high redemptions does not change the fact that those investments had already been made and that those investments are already cash flowing. So how do we get that awareness out? Extremely tightly held. You know, we despac with only 95,000 common shares outstanding. We have to grow that shareholder base. We have to grow the fundamental following of us. And we also have to, to get the investments that we've previously made. We have to get those out there. We have to tell the story of a Heartwater or a Ferox or other portfolio companies and demonstrate that there are real fundamental reasons why this company is public. And we want to grow that organically now that we're despacked and, and listed on on our own. Yeah. And, and moving you know beyond those tasks, just to put a few more things on your plate, uh, has yeah. royalty management been able to leverage some of those other benefits of being a public company thus far in terms of dangling and incentive plans for recruiting or looking at using share capital for M&A? M&A, yes. The inbound phone calls we received over the past week with opportunities is like 10 times what we were getting before. But you have to still only act on fundamental uh, opportunities. Talent retention or talent attraction is great. It's very tough to hire top talent while you're going through a DSPAC transaction. As you can imagine, again, there's a lot of negative connotation around that. So how do we change that optically? Uh, one of the reasons I stayed on during this transition is to get the level set done, get everything squared away from a financial reporting standpoint. And now allow other team members to elevate their roles, go get a couple more large revenue generating deals done, and then look for 2024 to be really be that full growth year. There's work to be done on the mutual fund side. There are several funds out there that dedicate themselves to investing in royalty players. They don't know us yet. We have to get out in front of them. And really all of that has started this past week. 
As you've been describing, you know, your, your process of kind of getting the message out, on some level, I imagine it's also a bit of an education question when, when engaging with investors. And just, I'm curious, you know, how receptive the investor community has been as you've been going through this process. I imagine it's been very different, you know, depending on what, what type of investor you're talking to, but also it seems like new issuance has been struggling a little bit, no matter how it's come to market, uh, whether IPO or SPAC, despite, as you mentioned, I think there is, you know, at least some some of a, a bit of a negative connotation towards SPACs at the moment. But just in general, what, what was the mood like? And has that transitioned a bit now that you've gotten to the other side of, of the closing? I would say over the past week, we've probably had a dozen, two dozen investor calls. And generally in the, in the first three minutes, you can determine if they're going to be fundamental or not. <laughs> like I don't need to raise equity today to pay you know a banking fee, right? Our underwriter converted to equity because they believed in this deal. And once you get past that, Reception has been very good. People do appreciate and understand royalty investments, but we're not like the other ones, right? I'm not just a silver play. If you want to be a silver play, you can go buy a silver commodity, right? Uh, and then you own that commodity and you take away the operational risk. What our portfolio brings is a balance of both currently producing revenue, but also future opportunities, but also the community sustainability nature, right? Of some of our royalty plays, you know, like Heartwater, they're the only non-municipal owned water utility in the state of Texas. So they're, they're the only non-city that can actually bottle and sell water within the state just the same way you get it from your, your drinking faucet. What that allowed them to do was when a hurricane went through Houston, they're actually able, they were brought in by the state to actually supply drinking water, potable water to hurricane victims and her and first responders. That's a sustainable nature that that we can bring through our royalty streams that you don't really get if you just invest in a in a silver mine, right? We're bringing that social change aspect of it too, which is very powerful. And I think that it also helps smooth out some economic ups and downs when you bring something more meaningful than just a sales number. And so I think that that kind of differentiates ourselves. And I think that resonates a lot with investors. I think ESG uh, only investing, I think is going to, has, has drawn back, right? But those themes are still present. You know, you need to build your business from inside out. You need to do right by your community. Those things have always been successful in business. Um, there just never used to be a term around it. And we're very happy that our portfolio companies do that anyway as part of their normal course of business. And I think that, again, insulates those companies from some of the short-term economic challenges that some of those industries may see. Yeah, definitely. And again, this talking about those conversations, I imagine investors were also hungry for some hard metrics in terms of assessing the value of some of royalty management's unique cash streams. So do you have any go-to numbers that you use to demonstrate the company's valuation, or are there some sort of targets in, in that fashion that you're looking to hit? So by having a business who's already made their investments, who is demonstrating that those investments are cash flowing, are generating revenue, it did help provide a floor for valuation. There are embedded increases in our potential agreements to capture higher interest rates, higher costs in the marketplace today. So some of the investments that have been made were made two years ago in convertible note structure forms. Those interest rates are below market today. When we make next tranche of investments in those opportunities, we'll see natural increase in, in revenue generation from the same companies, right? So really made sure that we allowed ourselves flexibility both to 
help our portfolio companies grow, but also make sure we're delivering proper returns to our shareholders from the investments made. Right. And so now that you've gotten the listing done, what is the most exciting thing that you see in your field? Is there some potential to use AI in identifying investments or perhaps a crypto rebound making blockchain look more attractive or something else? Uh, yeah. So I think that AI, when you're screening investments, is great for screening initial financial metrics, but nothing can replace actually walking an opportunity and shaking hands with the community leaders and other stakeholders, right? So we excel in that in that function. Rebound in crypto is very interesting. We own several power contracts, which we can lease out to crypto miners or data centers. And so that's definitely an opportunity that we want to explore. Some of the states that we operate here in the United States have been conducive to bringing in data centers. And so we do want to explore those opportunities now that some of that market has reset. But yeah, it's a, a really exciting time for on that front.